Welcome to the Future Female Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Harrop, and it's my mission to help create more female leaders in the workplace. Today is a special episode where I have two guests who are absolutely phenomenal. You're going to want to tune in because we're talking about going from adversity to achievement by overcoming challenges. And real quick, if you haven't booked your complimentary leadership assessment call, what's holding you back? I'll tell you that every single call is unique and that's what I love about it. I'll start by having you share a little bit about yourself and something that maybe is a little bit challenging for you in your current workplace or where you're currently at in your career. And that pretty much sets us up for the entirety of the call. So if you're someone that likes to know what to expect, that is exactly the structure of how I approach these calls. So I would love to chat with you and give you some free advice. Again, no obligation chat. So click the link in the show notes and I hope to talk with you soon. For today's episode, I have Amanda Morris from the Washington Post and Rosie Acosta joining from Headspace, two phenomenal individuals who work for amazing companies. And we had such a great conversation on overcoming challenges and a partnership that you may not be aware of. So let's jump into today's episode. All right, everyone. I have Amanda Morris and Rosie Acosta with me today. Amanda and Rosie, thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Thanks. Thanks for having us. I'm excited. Thank you so much. I'm really excited as well. Beautiful. And I would love for both of you to have a moment to introduce yourself. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourselves professionally, personally, However, you would like to introduce yourselves, uh, Amanda, I'd love if we start with you. I'm Amanda Morris, and I'm the disability reporter with the Washington Post's well-being team. And before that, I was the inaugural disability reporting fellow at the New York Times. What do you like to do outside of work for fun? Oh, man, that's a hard question. I do a lot of things. My parents are always joking I do too much. I mostly like to dance, swim, read. Sometimes I get into things like bouldering or you know, traveling a lot, things like that. Yeah, I feel like you're selling yourself short a little bit there when I was reading the article on you recently traveling. Was it in the Swiss Alps that you were hiking? Where was that? Yeah, I really like hiking. So last summer, I was really lucky because I had an opportunity to take a month and do the Camino de Santiago, which does, you know, go through the French Pyrenees. And then it goes basically all the way across Spain. So I walked uh, many, 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 many miles. And then I went and I hiked to Machu Picchu in Peru as well. Wow. No big deal. Wow. That's amazing. That's super cool. Rosie, what about you? Oh my God. It's a hard act to follow, Amanda. It's like me living my best life. I want to do all of those things as well. My name is Rosie Acosta. I am an author, podcaster, and meditation and mindfulness teacher at Headspace. And yeah, that's, that's what, it's what I do. It's my passion. I love it. 
And I mean, I get to have fun conversations like this and learn new things. And I found out in the pre-interview before we hit record that Rosie is a fellow snowboarder. So we Mm -hmm. were talking about all the places she had gone. And I was saying how since I'm local here in Salt Lake City, Utah, I don't need to travel much to experience some fun places. So what would you say was your favorite ski resort that you've traveled to? Favorite? Oh man, that's tough. Mount Hood in Oregon. Maybe I'm just most familiar with that mountain. Oregon hasn't hold such a special place in my heart. I did a lot of healing there. I did a lot of soul searching there. And so it it really, I think is one of my favorite places on earth for sure. It's so much peace that I can find in the mountains. I love it, that. It really is so, I mean, and look, Amanda, you, I would imagine can speak to this as well. It's like, I think just being atop any mountain, there's just like a certain feeling of you've overcome adversity in some way, shape or form. You've had to traverse obstacles. You've had to adapt. You've had to um, effort in some way, shape or form. And there were, I'm sure, moments where you felt like maybe you might never get to your destination. So there's that sort of hopelessness at points. Mm -hmm. And then you get to this this summit where you get to just have this experience of all of your hard work. And it it truly is just such a beautiful experience, I think. Rosie, I think you're absolutely right that there's nothing like a mountain and mountains can be really good metaphors for the things we face in life as well. But then I also think like for me, like hiking, not always necessarily about this idea of overcoming something, but also about really being like very present in the moment. For some reason, for me, hiking is like that thing that takes me away from worrying about the past or worrying about the future and really just lets me enjoy what I'm doing. Absolutely. Even if it's hard, I would imagine, I mean, I'm skiing downhills, you're walking up them. But uh, part of that, right, is I love what you said, Amanda, of not thinking of our past, not worrying about our future, getting into that present. And sometimes even with the difficulties in the present, when we're actually feeling through them and working through them, we can still enjoy it when we are focusing on that part of the present. So thank you for sharing that. Well, I'd love to understand what challenges, because you both have grown to these amazing roles within your careers and these experiences. I'd love to know what challenges you each overcame to get to where you're at in your career. And I think we can, again, start with you, Amanda, so that listeners are familiar with your different voices. Sounds good. That is a really good question. So Man, there's a lot that I could talk about, but I think as soon as you said what challenges you had to overcome in your own careers, I think the first thing that jumped to mind was actually that feeling when I was 23 and just out of college and filled with a lot of self-doubt, but then also experiencing for the first time some very real like discrimination in the workforce, not just as a woman, but also as a disabled woman. I can recall, you know, telling some men that I was working with that I wanted to be 
a reporter and I wanted to go out and cover serious topics. And I'll never forget this one guy said, you know, you're a little fragile for that. You might want to like bundle up buttercup. And I was like, this is so, it was like blatantly sexist. And then I also very clearly remember the moment where I was working at a news organization very early on in my career. And I had this one boss who wasn't very understanding of the fact that sometimes it's just hard for me to hear people. And she told me that if I couldn't fix my hearing, that I would never make it as a reporter. And I cried so much that day. I like went into the staircase. I called a friend of mine. She talked me down. But I don't think people realize how much those little comments can stick with somebody mm-hmm. and really fuel that self-doubt. Luckily, I didn't le- listen to either of them. So luckily, I didn't listen to either of them. And I kind of just went on and forged my own path. But it was actually a really difficult decision for me starting out in the industry to make the decision from the get-go that I was never going to hide my disability or hide the fact that I wore hearing aids. And every job application I've ever done, I have checked that box that says, yes, I have a disability. Because in my mind, I never wanted to work for an employer that wouldn't understand or accommodate that. But in my parents' generation, that was very different. My parents are both completely deaf and have experienced a lot of discrimination in the job process, job applications and interviewing. And they always kind of were worried that if I was really open with my disability, that I would face additional stigma. While that's true, I think I've also gotten additional opportunities because I'm willing to be brave and speak out and represent this community that is so rich. I totally see where parents come from when they're trying to help protect us. I sometimes see, especially in female clients I work with, where sometimes that creates additional self-doubt where we're thinking, oh, well, if they're worried, maybe I shouldn't do this thing. When if we more so reframe it in a way of they're they're looking out for us and they are worried, right? Because they're thinking about their experience and how they were maybe discriminated against in these different processes and didn't want you to experience those same things. But I love what you're saying, Amanda, in recognizing how you could choose to use those, the words that people were saying and, and yeah, sexist comments to fuel you in your career. Because if I simply look at your history, I would never think, of course, on paper, that you had any of those challenges because you have grown in so many different roles throughout your career. So it's really great to hear how you chose to overcome that because, right, you wouldn't be where you're at today without making that choice. A lot of times growing is choosing to be uncomfortable, right? There's a really good analogy I like of a seed. Mm -hmm. And if you watch a seed first sprout, it looks really messy. It looks like destruction and chaos. It's all bursting open, but that's actually growth, right? So sometimes things might feel really chaotic or messy, or you might feel a little out of your depth. And I know that I definitely did at some points, but that's all like a way to grow. Discrimination aside, some other kind of challenges that I had along the course of my career so far is like, you know, I went on to be a science reporter at one point 
And I didn't have a degree in science. And I would be doing these interviews with PhD like researchers. And they would be talking in a way that I was like, are you even speaking English? Like what? And I had to do a lot of extra research and put in extra time on my part to learn all these scientific terminologies. And it got to the point where people were asking me, where did you get your PhD? And I was like, I don't have one, but that's actually a good thing because that means that I grew, right? Or even on a personal level, I've been in a relationship with my partner for six years. We just got engaged. And my career, in order to take new opportunities, I've sometimes had to move. And we were at a point earlier on in my career where it didn't make sense for him to move with me. So we had to do long distance. And it wasn't challenging professionally, but it was really challenging personally to have to navigate how to chase my career while also, you know, being in love and stuff. Because, you know, in our parents' generation, my grandparents' generations, so often I feel like one partner would have to sacrifice on the behalf of the other. And like, I know my mom has moved on the behalf of my dad in the past because maybe my dad was able to get better job opportunities than my mom was in that time period. And so like, it really feels like our generation is really trying to figure out how women can have both, right? Like have it all. Love that. What about you, Rosie? What challenges have you overcome in your career growth? Oh my God. How do I keep this concise? <laughs> uh, I relate so much to what Amanda was saying, just, you know, being able to forge forward, even when people are telling you that you're going to fail. I think that was probably one of the biggest motivating factors for me. Yeah. Growing up in East LA during the LA riots in a really chaotic environment, first generation Mexican-American, there are plenty of obstacles to move through when you're growing up in an environment like that. So I think when I first came to mindfulness and meditation, it's one of the things that actually helped me ground myself within myself. It gave me the confidence that I needed. It gave me a sense of solace, a sense of comfort, a sense of peace. And it, it did inspire me to want to teach these practices to people like the people I grew up with, you know, people that didn't have access to yoga, health, wellness, meditation, mindfulness tools that can help everyday people. Because at the time, this is, you know, like early 2000s, these types of contemplative practices were a luxury for people people. You know, it's like having the time to sit there and just be with your thoughts is a luxury for people that can't make ends meet. Right. So, I mean, it still is the same thing to this day, but there's just so much more access. And I think for me, the first hurdle I think I overcame was, you know, becoming a teacher where there wasn't a lot of diversity in yoga yoga studios and yoga spaces. So I think having the opportunity to feel a community around me that was supportive of that and that made me feel a part of was really key for me to continuing my path forward. There was a lot of, how do you say, like, I think one of the biggest issues I faced 
teaching in LA was just the physicality of it because my body is not a typical body and yoga bodies are, I'm going to do air quotes, supposed to look a certain way. And so again, at that time, during that time, we didn't have this, the the proliferation of self-love, body positivity. That wasn't really a statement at that time. And so, you know, dealing with yoga studios, not hiring because you weren't fit enough or you didn't look like a yoga teacher. Um, that was kind of in that same category of overcoming what the status quo was. And I think that being able to just, yeah, like Amanda said, not listen and move forward and just continue that path was was really, really helpful. And then I decided to quit my job because I loved teaching so much. And I decided I wanted to become an entrepreneur, which is like so not why my parents came to this country. They they came to this country so that I can go to school, go to college, get a job mm-hmm. and go work for a really great company where I can get benefits and a 401k, right? They didn't come to this country so that I could be like, I'm going to figure it out and just go work for myself and follow my passions. So that was the mm-hmm. second biggest hurdle is to overcome that obstacle of of just believing in yourself enough. I think having the confidence and this feeling the the safety within myself because of my mindfulness practice that allowed me to feel that comfort within myself, which I think is is very similar with all of us, you as well, Nicole, I would imagine, and Amanda, like there was this feeling of, okay, I believe that I can do this. How can we continue to move forward? What I love about that, Rosie, is it seems like for all of us, because I've faced similar challenges in my career of not knowing what success looked like and seeing a lot of failures. My mom recently was released from incarceration for six years. And so I saw certain things in how she was, you know, running different businesses and how things weren't working out. And did that mean if I went and did my own thing, that that was going to be the same for me? Because sometimes if we don't see that success in our own parents or vice versa, when, when you're saying, Hey, I'm going to go out on my own, that was probably worrisome or potentially threatening to them of what they knew as that safe. And it seems that the theme here is that all of us have chosen to take some feedback of and concerns from other people and then choose, make that choice to push forward and try. I always say, if I don't at least try, then am I going to live with regret later on, right? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And and I'd love to hear Amanda's thoughts on this too. But, you know, with what you're saying, I wonder what it is within us that creates that desire though you know it's like is it that we the three of us have experienced having to overcome some adversity like what is it within people women specifically that decide no I'm gonna do this like I'm gonna do this this way because Mm -hmm. nobody's especially if we don't have some mentor or somebody saying, no, you need to go do this. Like, trust yourself. If we don't have that, how does one just 
have that audacity, right, to to do it. I'm just curious what your guys' thoughts on that are. Amanda, what do you think? Like looking in inwards and I'm thinking, what is it that has made me, as my mom might say, incredibly stubborn about what I want to do in life? And, you know, she loves that about me. But it's interesting because now I think there's a lot of things that, you know, you can trace back to childhood and things like that. And I do kind of think just in general, like I've always been a very uh, different. I don't know what the right word is, but I guess. So as a kid, I was pretty much always the only kid in the room that had a hearing aid, always. And I would sometimes get comments from other kids that were rude or ignorant. And, you know, they're just kids, but it doesn't hurt any less. And I think I had a really happy childhood, lots of friends, because I kind of decided really early on, like, you know what? I am me and I'm going to be me and I'm going to do me. And if they're not feeling me, that's okay. I don't need to be friends with them. Like I've always just kind of stuck to the people that I feel like have loved and supported me the best. And I've been really lucky to be really close with my family. I've got three older brothers. And I think being the youngest of four maybe gave me a little bit of a fire to stand up for myself and play a little rough with the boys. But then also my mom has three sisters who are all incredibly strong women, in addition to my grandma and my mom. And they have always shown me the way in terms of how to be a strong woman. And so I had really good role models in that sense. But when it comes to being really decisive, right, I think women struggle a lot sometimes, or at least I know I did, where, you know, maybe not wanting to seem aggressive or maybe wanting to make sure that we hear out other people's points of views or, you know, just in general, self-doubt, right? Because I think that comes from a place of empathy and compassion where we're really concerned about, you know, and if I do this, will so-and-so be upset or will the company like it or whatever? And I don't know how exactly I, to let go of that, but I know that I've let go of it sometimes in the past where I've kind of just said, you know what, like, I know that this is what I want to do. And you have this gut feeling almost, but how does one describe after that gut feeling, right? Like, I guess at the end of the day, sometimes when I'm not sure whether or not I should do something, and I do think it's worthwhile to pause and not be impulsive all the time. Mm -hmm. I've sort of asked myself the question of like, you know, in a year from now, what's the worst that could have happened from this? And what's the best that could have happened from this? And if the worst that could have happened is that maybe somebody thought that I sounded stupid or something in a year from now, I'm sure that doesn't matter. If the best that could have happened is that I go on this podcast and, you know, it helps somebody else go ask for that job promotion that they want or something, then that's actually really cool. Um, so just looking big scale, I think, can help us get over our own worries because often worries are a lot smaller than they might seem. Yes, I love that so much. I love that both of you have shared that those experiences of overcoming and being resilient because it is also a choice in which direction we head in, whether we kind of cower or whether we start to step into our differences and what makes us 
unique. And I think women, especially in the workforce, are such a superpower because of what you were saying, Amanda, thinking more on the emotional impact that we can have on other people, I think is something that not all people who are in the more masculine sense often think about before they act. You're saying this pause, how is this going to affect our organization? How is this going to affect our employees? How is this going to affect our customers, our clients, our end consumers? And that's why I think the women in general have these superpowers and uh, emotional effect in the workplace, which brings me to my next question of how have you each used these challenges and experiences to maybe help motivate and inspire women at each of your organizations? I have a group of like female friends that are also journalists in the industry. And we have this little group chat and it's actually lovely because anytime one of us is having an issue with our boss or looking for a new job, we're just generally not sure even how to write an email. It's pretty much the safe space where we can just drop something into that group chat and be like, okay, I'm trying to write this email to like ask for a raise. Like, does mm -hmm. this wording make sense? Or, you know, or they'll be like, oh, you know, my story that I was supposed to work on got reassigned to somebody else. How should I handle that? And I think, you know, not that I've been in every single situation that somebody asked about, but any challenging situation I've been in, I've been able to use lessons from that to help advise other people on how to handle similar situations. I'm a big fan of coaching people through salary negotiations and emails about raises mm -hmm. because I actually was coached through that when I was earlier on in my career. I actually was part of an organization called the New York Women in Communications. And that organization is all about women kind of lifting each other up and coaching each other. And a lot of it is actually money talk because, you know, we're underpaid a lot of the times. and Sally negotiations can be really intimidating, but sometimes we just got to like pump each other up. You know, you got to like be like, you're a girl boss, like you're fired. And like yes. you play that playlist, you put on the amazing outfit. You just like got to pump yourself up to like ask for what you deserve. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Rosie, what about you? I'm like pumped. I think that my favorite thing Whenever I do any workshops for women specifically, like women in the workplace or career women and mindfulness, my biggest intention is always to help people find that state of equanimity within themselves to always maintain a sense of balance because typically, especially as entrepreneurs or as as boss gals, we tend to put a lot on our plate, right? There's this idea that as women, not idea, I mean, it's the truth that we have to work a lot harder than our male counterparts, truly. Mm -hmm. And I think just knowing that it creates this level of pressure and at some at times overwhelm. One of the main components of what mindfulness is, is our ability to be present with the present moment, but mostly to be present and to be okay with uncertainty, which anybody out there who has ever 
worked for themselves or been in a situation where you have to be autonomous, we there's a lot of uncertainty. Look, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world, right? And so I think the biggest way I like to help my students or people that I work with is, yeah, creating that sense of balance, creating that that sort of neutral space for us to be able to take that moment before that call, before that negotiation, before a presenta- presentation, and just taking a breath putting yourself back into your space, body awareness, focus, confidence, grounded and operating from that sense that operating from that space rather than feeling overwhelmed, doing too much, putting too much on our plate, feeling like we can't do something because we're just so completely depleted of energy. So the way that I incorporate mindfulness into what I do and teach is to be able to create practices that people can do in a short amount of time that creates that sense of peace and balance within themselves. Yeah, I love that because both of you have this beautiful way of kind of showing that yin and yang in terms of Rosie, you're saying, you know, be with yourself and get mindful, be present, have that thoughtfulness and intention. And Amanda, you're saying, you know, have that support from other people and find that mentorship in the workplace. And when you get that unique combination that works for you in the workplace, I think that can be such a beautiful thing because, right, you can't always lean on others to help pull you up in your career. And it can also be really lonely doing it yourself. So how do we get a little bit of both of those best of both worlds to incorporate that? So I love that you both had that unique experience. Thank you. I think there's a little bit of a yin and yang as well uh, that I think Rosie really hit at where it's like, you want to do everything. You want to put everything on your plate and you want to do it perfectly, right? Mm -hmm. But then like the other side of that coin is like, you need to breathe. You need to take the bubble bath. You need to like sleep, you know, and eat a uh-huh. salad. You need to like take care of yourself because everything means nothing if you're running around like and suddenly being irritable or not kind to others or not kind to yourself because your goals were so big that you tried to do it all in one day, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think so. I think, yeah, just to add to what Amanda, what you're saying is, having that ability or doing the practice of self-compassion, I think is, is huge as well to be able to give yourself permission to do all of those things. And I feel like oftentimes that's the thing that falls on the back burner. We always leave our own self-care for the end or until we feel so completely depleted that we can't do anything else and we're essentially forced to stop. So I think it's a really great practice to do to practice self-compassion and and be able to give yourself the space that you need in order to operate from a state of balance. Because I'm sure that like our favorite girl bosses, like, you know, I'm sure people like Beyonce take bubble baths sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would imagine she does while making, (laughs) while editing her videos on the laptop. 
absolutely. I'm sure she does that. Right. I I love that because I think it is important to also remember that women, I loved the the comparison of men are typically more like the sun. When you think of the sun rising and setting every single day consistently and women more so uh, are compared to being the moon, it changes consistently over a month. And we recognize energy levels, different things. We operate differently throughout that given, you know, month. And if you are recognizing that you're feeling that burnout, what I do is I try to schedule things in because I live and die by my calendar. So if I don't have things scheduled in, if I'm not scheduling in, like go get that massage, go to lunch with your friends. I'll put in there, you know, go on a walk or sit somewhere where the sun is shining on your face. And if it's on my calendar, I have to do it. So then I I hold to myself of what I normally would have pushed off. Oh, no, I'll get some sunshine tomorrow or I'll go on that walk tomorrow. And then, you know, I'm so burnt out because I've prioritized so many other things that then I'm the one that has nothing left to give. Yeah, no, I've definitely been there for sure. Yes. I love a good schedule too. I, I love to put things on my calendar. Mm-hmm. Me too. Well, I'm sure all these similarities that both of you have and all three of us really in overcoming different challenges, adversities, how we want to empower others and and share vulnerabilities that you know, we also had struggles along our career. And if we don't have those conversations and share those vulnerabilities, how do people really know that they're going through the same things that we once went through? And a big reason why I wanted the both of you on the podcast today is because of the unique partnership with the Washington Post and Headspace. So for the listeners tuning in who may not be familiar The Washington Post recently launched a well-being section and is now partnered with Headspace to where you can take everything you learn about wellness from the Washington Post and apply it to your wellness practices with Headspace. What do both of you love about this new partnership? So many people are struggling right now. We're, We're struggling. We're overworked. We have anxiety, you know so many restless nights. It's such a beautiful partnership because the post is focusing so much more now on the well-being section. And I think Amanda can speak to that a little bit more, but I know with regard to Headspace's motivations, I mean, this is such a big conversation for us internally to be able to create content for people that can really help things that are easily integrated into people's schedules, into their times, you know, for those restless nights, for those, the new subscribers, they can listen to sleep casts, they can do many meditations, they can, you know, just basically go into all the content that we have. You can do beginners courses, you can do, um, you know, just listen to you know, the, the, the sounds that we have out in nature, like there is some, you can listen to the podcast, you know, the headspace, radio headspace, dear headspace. And essentially it just allows people to find 
what type of practices is going to be easily suited into their routine so that they can feel a little bit less stress, right? So that that's what our motivation is. It's like, how do we how do we incorporate these moments of mindfulness? And, and the way that the app works, you can schedule it throughout the day. I mean, you wake up with a breathing exercise, then there's a wake up video, which typically gives you some sort of like tip or advice on, you know, some maybe something that you're going through, some sort of life mindfulness tip. And then, you know, there's a course if you want to start a course or yeah, there's so many sleep casts on there. And it's a way for people to, yeah, learn what fits in their routine and and learn what works for them. You know, because most people are apt to do a practice that is easily integrated into their day. And I think that Headspace does a really good job at creating a variety of content to find that right piece for you. Just to build off of what Rosie said, I think Headspace has some really, really great content that can be really useful for people who are trying to de-stress. I think what really excites me about the fact that we did this partnership is that the entire genesis of the well-being team at the Washington Post is kind of this idea of what should we be covering in this day and age, right? And we also went through this pandemic in which health really was at the forefront, but also a lot of people while worrying about physical health, we're starting to see signs of damage or trouble with their emotional health, right? As some of us came out of lockdown, I feel like we're navigating a new space and a new world. There are some things that we're doing that are still different now than before the pandemic or some things that we'll think about differently. Like, I don't necessarily ignore it anymore. Somebody's coughing and sneezing next to me. and. The idea behind well-being was to focus on how, as we move forwards from this pandemic, we can really look at well-being in a comprehensive way. Um, the Washington Post wanted to service readers. And I think the best way to service readers is to not just give them the news that is related to politics and things like that, but also to give them news that they can use in their everyday lives related to their well-being. Because at the end of the day, we do really care about the people around us. Like every journalist at the Washington Post will tell you it's not just a job to them. They they do it because we want to service our readers. And I think the partnership with Headspace allows us to give readers an actionable or easy way to incorporate some of the reporting and expertise that we have in their everyday lives. So on the well-being team, we report on things like mindfulness and anxiety and um, different types of food and sleep habits and things like that. And I think Headspace is a perfect complement to that. I also think on a personal level, I've been really excited about this partnership because for me, um, when COVID first broke out 2020, I was a science reporter and my roommate was a nurse. Um, and that year was just really tough for us on a personal level. I had a lot of anxiety. I wasn't sleeping a lot. And it was really rough. And it felt like after I finished my fellowship at the New York Times, I actually needed almost to step back from journalism entirely for like a month or two because the news was feeling so overwhelming. Even to me as a journalist, 
that I actually didn't immediately start a new job. I took a month off, as I said, to hike the Camino de Santiago. And the Camino de Santiago is it's sort of like this pilgrimage that people do. And a lot of people have like these deep, meaningful reasons that they go on this month-long trek and you just kind of unplug, you meet people and you work on healing, right? And for me, hiking for a whole month meant I got to be present and mindful for a whole month. And I really got to feel like alive again after two years of just being really anxious and stressed and writing about COVID and thinking about COVID and being a journalist and having crazy deadlines and being overwhelmed by like political news, science news, like all of it, right? And to be able to bring the sense of peace and healing that I had in doing that hike to our readers by doing a partnership like this means the world to me. It really does. And having the job that I have, right, to cover disability means the world to me because I also think post-pandemic, we're not just thinking about well-being from the point of view of a quote-unquote typical body, right? Like, Rosie, you talked about this with yoga instructors, right? Like this idea that we're not all the same and that's okay. And I think my role as we move forward with the pandemic on the well-being team is to make sure that our well-being coverage is inclusive of all types of bodies and all types of people and that we give people help and service journalism that can better their well-being no matter where they are in their journey and no matter what they look like. Yes, I love that so much of what both of you said, Rosie and Amanda. I think it's cool that the Washington Post is looking at other ways to, again, best serve the people who work for them, best serving the audience. And what a cool, unique partnership to have with Headspace. Do you feel like it's changed the way that you have approached your journalism, Amanda, after like incorporating and having this partnership? I feel like it changed the way that I have been able to do my job in a good way, right? Like just getting that nice reminder to be mindful and to take a step back. And, you know, if it's six o'clock and you haven't finished all your things for the day, maybe that's okay, right? I think being a disability reporter, I've gotten a lot of really, I call it disability wisdom, gotten really good advice from people that I've interviewed about how to navigate careers while also navigating your own body. And then I think like the Headspace partnership does make me think more about what else can we do for our readers, right? Beyond just giving them the news and beyond giving them really good information about how to incorporate health practices into their own life. It's actually giving them the tools, right? So I kind of view the app of like Headspace as like a tool that readers can use Maybe readers will read an article that I wrote about how mindfulness can reduce anxiety just as effectively as anti-anxiety medication, according to new research. And then they want to try it. Having this partnership lets them have the tool and a way to easily try it out in their everyday life, right? So it's made me think more about what else can we do to make it as easy as possible for people to incorporate the information that we give them into their lives. And then the last thing I want to say is I know the news can be overwhelming sometimes. I think it's still really important to read politics news and things like that. But I also think it's really great to have that breath of fresh air along with your news and mm -hmm. have that five seconds of, okay, I just read like a 
really stressful article about something important that I needed to know, how do I process it? Maybe I'll go to my mindfulness app and I will take two minutes to breathe and then I can process the news in a better way. So it's not that we don't want people reading the news, but it's about how do we process it and how do we use it in a way that's bettering our lives or in a way that enables us to make better decisions about our lives without getting overwhelmed or stressed. Absolutely. I think Rosie, was it you who said that balance, you kind of view that as like a dance where it's never a perfect balance, right? We see, we think of balance, we think of this scale that has equal parts on both sides, but in life we've learned, especially since the pandemic, that's simply not the case. And I like what you're saying, Amanda, and using Rosie's kind of visualization there that you know, sometimes it is going to feel a little bit more stressful and heavy in terms of things that you're reading. How do we then lighten that or even that back out and and welcoming headspace and having that direction and knowing where to go? Because if we've never tried it before, you know, we need some direction. So I think that that's a beautiful partnership that you all have. And I'm so grateful to have had this conversation with the both of you today. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Nicole, for having us, me, us, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you guys both so much. It was such a pleasure to talk to both of you. I could do this all day. Same, same seeds. <laughs> what a great conversation, right? I had so much fun talking to both Amanda and Rosie. Clearly, we did not have enough time to dive even deeper into some of these talking points, but such a great conversation in the time that we did have together. I will work on getting additional interviews scheduled with both Amanda and Rosie because each of them have unique stories and I would love to dive into them. A little bit more, but I think it's amazing that both of them overcame adversity from young ages, persevered. If you listen to the episode from earlier this week talking about grit and resilience, both of these women embody that grit and resilience. And how cool is it that by overcoming these adversities, by overcoming these challenges, they both now work in these dream jobs for both of them. These are dream roles. And I hope that you took some inspiration from this in hearing their stories and recognizing, you know what? Maybe someone told you that you weren't good enough at something or you couldn't do something so you gave up on a dream, you can choose what your future holds. You can absolutely do anything you set your mind to. And it's all about finding the right support system around you and forgetting and not listening to anyone else who's going to try to tear you down along the way. Be sure to check out Amanda Morris's stories at the Washington Post and Rosie Acosta's guided meditations at Headspace and subscribe to both. I will link them in the show notes. All right, if you love these episodes and you are looking for additional growth in your career, 
I hope you'll consider joining the Future Leaders program. We focus on soft skill development that helps you stand out as a leader in your organization today, not in years or months or whatever that is from now. You can stand out as a leader as soon as you start implementing the learnings from the practical application each week throughout our sessions. If you'd like to learn more, click on the link in the show notes. I'd love to have a chat with you to understand where you're at in your career and if this might be a right next step for you. Again, the link is in the show notes. And until next time, we'll see you later.